You're listening to the FC Young Adult Podcast. Hey guys, hope you're doing so good as you enter into the new year. Super excited to be back on the podcast and we are starting a new series this week entitled At the Table. There's a a fairly uh, basic principle behind this series. It is we are going to have conversations about stories that involve Jesus uh, sharing a meal. Uh, Some of the interactions will be the lessons learned from the actual words that Jesus speaks to the people um, at the table. Other ones are going to be about Jesus telling stories at these intimate moments where he's sharing a meal with people and he's trying to teach very specific things through story or parable. I'm really excited about this. We're going to stick in it for at least a month and uh, it's going to be really, really fun. This week we are starting in the Gospel of Luke and the interaction that we have uh, that we're going to talk about is actually found in three of the Gospels. It's found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew and Mark keep it pretty short and sweet. Uh, Luke's is a little bit longer. We might spend two weeks in this. I haven't quite decided yet. Next week we might uh, look at the back end of this story, but we're going to look at at least the front end this week, Luke chapter 5. And we're going to start in verse 27. Uh, And just look at verses 27 and 28 first. It says, After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi. So I want to stop here really quick. Uh, After this, this is actually right after a miracle that Jesus performs. There's this story, and we actually talked about it semi-recently, of these friends who take their uh, their friend uh, who is paralyzed, and they want to take him to Jesus to be healed. They can't find room through the crowd, so they actually lower him through the roof. Jesus admires their faith. And he heals this man. And so right after this is where this story takes place. So after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So leaving everything behind, he got up and began to follow him. There are a couple things that I'm always really struck by when I read this passage. Um, Number one, Levi mentioned in this passage is actually the apostle Matthew, one of the twelve. Uh, This isn't just a guy who um, followed Jesus for a short moment. This is a guy who eventually dedicated his life to following Jesus. That Jesus simply says, follow me, and Levi or Matthew does just that. And that's kind of the second point, is that Matthew just gets up and follows. And this is kind of a normal um, response when people interact with Jesus. Like He was so compelling that he would say, follow me. And people would, because people knew that there was something different. I want to start by asking this question. Do we find Jesus compelling enough to follow? Do we find Jesus compelling enough to follow? Many of us would say, obviously, that that's why we're listening to the podcast. We want to grow in our faith. That's why we engage with our own personal faith, why we engage with church, all those things. Like We believe that the story of Jesus is compelling enough. Some are like, maybe that's kind of why I listen to the podcast is because I'm trying to figure it out. Like I'm trying, I don't know if that is uh, compelling enough, but I'm here to actually decide on whether or not I can answer that question with a solid yes. And some are just listening to the podcast because a friend shot it their way uh, or a cute girl or cute, cute boys like I listen to this and you're like oh yeah I'm gonna listen to it too if you're listening to it because of that I'm super glad that you're listening anyway um, wherever we find ourselves we have to ask ourselves the question on a regular basis do I find Jesus compelling enough to follow 
And I'm a firm believer that the message in the person of Christ is compelling enough to follow with everything that I am. That's why I have dedicated my life to preaching and teaching and being a pastor and all of those things. I don't believe that the gospel is stagnant. I don't believe that the gospel is boring. I think that this is the greatest story ever told. It's the greatest message ever given to humanity. And I'm super, super pumped to continue walking that out. However, in the midst of believing that the gospel is not stagnant, in the midst of believing that the gospel is not boring, that it's worth doing, it's compelling, all of those things, I struggle with following Jesus daily when he asks me to follow him in specific ways. Like overall, yeah, I want to follow Jesus. Like there's no question, I want to follow Jesus. But if Jesus today walked by and said, hey, Evan, I want you to leave X, Y, and Z behind and follow me. Would I? Would I? Would you? If Jesus walked up to us and said, hey, I want you to leave that relationship because it's it's inhibiting your ability to follow me. I want you to leave that habit. I want you to leave that addiction. I want you to be- leave that hobby. Like Whatever it may be, would we be willing to leave whatever it is behind in order to follow Jesus. Now, I'm a firm believer that Jesus isn't going to like ask us to leave our spouse or leave our kids or anything like that in order to follow him. That's not not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that there are things in our lives that we tend to prioritize that take significant amounts of attention. And sometimes Jesus is going to say, would you be willing to leave that behind in order to follow me and become the man or become the woman that I have called you to be? You see, following Jesus is a lifetime commitment. We must understand that in specific seasons, Jesus will ask us to follow him in specific ways. It would be really nice if Jesus was just like, hey, leave this hard season to come follow me and have an easy season. But sometimes Jesus is going to say, hey, like you've gotten comfortable. I need you to leave this comfortable season. And I need you to actually step into this hard season so that you can grow and become the person that I've called you to be. Is is the message of Jesus compelling enough? Is Jesus himself compelling enough to say yes and follow him every single day? My hope is that we would all eventually answer yes. The message of Jesus, the person of Jesus, is absolutely compelling enough for me to leave whatever it is that I need to leave behind and follow him. The passage goes on to say in uh, verses 29 through 30, It says, then Levi hosted a grand banquet for him at his house. Now there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others who were reclining at the table with them, but the Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? This interaction is really fascinating on lots of different levels. But one of the things that makes it so fascinating is that you have several different groups of people represented in, represented in this one singular moment. So I want to walk through uh, these groups of people. One, Jesus. Great guy. Recommend getting to know him. Um, the next three, though, are only human. While Jesus is fully God, fully human, the Messiah, the Savior, The next three groups are only human. They are fully human. And I think that if we can identify ourselves with them, it will create a well-rounded lens with which we can view ourselves and others. I also think it's really important to to identify with Jesus – and become a little bit more like him. Like that's the whole point. Like that is, that is the big point that we, if we want the lens that we really need, like Jesus is it. And that is something that we will preach 
every single week is that we're trying to become a little bit more like Jesus. We're trying to be his hands and his feet and his mouthpiece. But these other three groups of people, while being fully human and fully fallible and imperfect, if we can identify with some of the things within them, it will allow us to be a little bit more like Jesus. So the second group of people is the tax collectors and the sinners. Uh, the tax collectors were absolutely despised in Jewish culture. They were in cahoots with Rome and were completely taking advantage of their fellow Jews. If you don't know contextually, what happened is Rome is the superpower. They they run the whole known world, really. And they have employed Jewish tax collectors in their own communities and have equipped them with Roman centurions to go and collect Rome's tax. Well, the problem is is that the tax collectors can add a little bit onto it. So Rome might be taxing 40%, and they're like, actually, it's 45%. And nobody could really argue with them because the Roman centurions were there too, and they are getting a cut, and there's just this corrupt system. And so really, these tax collectors had completely turned and um, bailed on their own community, their own culture, all of these different things. So understanding why people didn't like the tax collectors is really understandable. Like, you're like, yeah, like, I don't think I would really love those guys either. So we have these tax collectors. We have these other sinners that are sitting at the table with Jesus. They are people that had succumbed to earthly desires over being faithful to what the God of Israel had instructed them to be. And it could be really easy for us to look at the story and see the tax collectors and see the sinners as a them, but they are undeniably an us. They're broken, messy people, people that do do not have it figured out. But God is still willing to sit with them, that they are people who have succumbed to their earthly desires, and that should kind of resonate. Like, yeah, we do too. Like, we have made mistakes as well, that God has asked us to do one thing, and we have gone another way because of our flesh. And so we can identify with tax collectors and sinners. A couple years ago, I was sitting in a coffee shop with one of my friends who's a pastor in another state, and... uh, Man, we were we were just having a, co- a conversation over coffee, and a guy kind of heard us talking, and and he's just one of those guys who's just like no personal bubble. So he just like grabs a chair and pulls it up and goes, "Hey, you guys are talking," and I hear you guys talking about church, and we're like, "Yeah," and he's like, "Okay, like why?" And we're like, "Well, we're both pastors." He's like, "Oh, wow!" And so we get into this conversation. Um, he tells us his story. We tell him our story. Um, both me and my friend are have imperfect stories. Uh, we weren't like perfect, sinless Christians. Obviously, nobody is. But at the end of us telling our story, this guy goes, wow, I can't believe that they let you guys be pastors. And we both kind of laugh. And I was just like, yeah, like sometimes I think that too. Like I, I wear a burden of like I need to be perfect or I should have been perfect before I stepped into ministry, all of those different things. And so I just kind of like, you know, laugh and chuckle along with him. But my friend goes, yeah, he goes, what's even crazier is that I can't believe that God calls me his son. And I was just like, man, that is so good. Like, that is so good. Like being in awe of the fact that we are called sons and daughters of the most high, like no matter what we've done, no matter what our story is. And like, I'm not saying like I had a crazy story. I know people who have quote unquote crazier stories than me and their faith is so big and so great because of just that that despite all the things that they've done all despite all the things that we've done that God still goes yeah I still call you my beloved I still love you I still call you son I still call you daughter and I think that if we can recognize the parallel between our own lives and and the sinners and the tax collectors of the world we become regularly thankful for the fact that Jesus is willing to call us his 
the next group of people that I want to look at, Levi and the other disciples. Uh, like I said at the beginning, Levi is the apostle Matthew, uh, wrote the gospel of Matthew, and it's him and the other disciples. And it's important that we look at this group of people really quickly. We're actually not given a single action taken or word spoken by the other disciples. That They are just there. The, the Pharisees and the scribes speak to the disciples, so we know that they are present with Jesus, but they don't actually end up responding. They're simply following Jesus. They're just with Jesus, which is a really good place to be. If people looked at my life and said, hey, like, he never wrote anything profound, he never did anything, like, like, part of me would be really sad, but if people were like, but I know he was sitting with Jesus his entire life, that's a life well lived. I want to be on the heels of Jesus. I want to, like, our culture has told us not to ride the coattails of anybody. I want to ride the coattails of Jesus. I just want to be with Jesus. I want to do what Jesus does. When Jesus eats with tax collectors and sinners, I want to eat with tax collectors and sinners. When Jesus goes and heals people, I want to be right there praying for people healing too. Like I want to be doing the things that Jesus is. So even though we don't see this big interaction between the disciples and the Pharisees and the scribes, and I'm sure obviously they were having a conversation. Scripture isn't going to give us every word spoken at every single moment, but they were just with Jesus. That's a good place to be. And then you have Levi, who really just does one thing. He opens his home and hosts a meal. It says that he hosted a grand banquet at his house. What Levi does is practical. It's tangible. He sets the table quite literally, but also spiritually for Jesus to do ministry. Through Levi's position, he's able to do ministry. Through Levi's resources, he's able to do ministry. Through Levi's relationships... He's able to do ministries. The reason that there's a bunch of tax collectors and sinners at the table is because Levi is a tax collector and a sinner. And because of that, and because of his social circle, he invites all of these people. and like, dude, this guy's changing my life. I want him to change your life too. He's literally setting the table for Jesus to do what Jesus does. I think that we regularly overcomplicate following Jesus. Most of the time, all we have to do is set the table with what we have. Maybe that's our resources. Maybe that's our finances. Maybe that's our time. Maybe that's our home. Uh, Maybe that's our position and our influence. And maybe it's just simply just the relationships that we have. But we get to set the table and watch Jesus be Jesus. We don't have to overcomplicate evangelism. We don't have to overcomplicate following Jesus. Really, it's just taking what we've been giving given and giving it back to Jesus and saying, okay, whatever you want to do with these things that I have in my life— do it. And I can't wait to see what you do. So let's not overcomplicate following Jesus or telling other people about the love and the grace and the mercy of Christ. The fourth group of people is the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious elite, the quote unquote put together. <laughs> These were the ones who were regularly really diligent about checking religious boxes Um, These were the ones who often stood in judgment of others' lives. They're the ones who often stood in judgment of others' actions. And I would love to ask a couple of questions when it comes to those two statements. The first one is this, is are we willing to check our motives as we check our boxes? Are we willing to check our motives as we check our boxes? Religious practices in and of themselves are obviously not bad. I'm just as guilty as anyone of speaking about checking boxes in only a negative light. We hear that like, oh, you want to check your Christian box? Like, and it's just always negative. The problem is, is that we often find our, when we, when we often find ourselves in this, we set goals or check boxes and it comes across as 
not having really the greatest motives that our spirituality comes before we actually assess the motives behind why we want to be spiritual. Often it can be rooted in pride or the desire to come off as spiritually superior. Uh, the truth of the matter is that you can read the past, the pages of your Bible every day and not allow yourself to be transformed by it. You can read the pages of your Bible every day and not be moved to any kind of, of life transformation. You can go to church on the weekends. You come to Young Adults on Tuesday nights. Love if you did. And you can do that every single week. And you can not find growth if your motives are not correct. You can share as many Christian posts to your IG story as you want and not let them actually penetrate your soul. Reading your Bible is good. Being in community is good. Using a platform to share the gospel is good. But even good things can be done with the wrong motives. I truly believe that God would rather have us check less spiritual boxes with the right motives than more spiritual boxes with the wrong ones. Please hear me. I am not saying that you shouldn't have goals for your spiritual practices this year. I certainly do. But what I am saying is that answering the why behind those goals is more important than figuring out what you are going to do. That if you're like, I'm going to read the entire Bible this year, make sure you know why you want to do that. Not just doing it just to do it. I'm going to pray every day. Okay, why? I'm going to be in a small group. Why? Like, what are your motives behind doing the things that you want to do? And if your motives motives are rooted in Jesus, if your motives are truly rooted in becoming who God wants you to be, fantastic. Do all of those things. But if you're going to church because of that guy or that girl and that's it, I promise you won't get much out of church. Like that's just that's just the reality of it. If you're just reading your Bible to look spiritually superior, that's going to be dry and it's going to be a barren wasteland that that produces no fruit. But if you're reading your Bible because you trust that the Holy Spirit is going to use that to impact you and in turn impact the world around you, oh my gosh, do it, do it, do it. Learn grow, get closer to Jesus, not because of what it will cause others to perceive you as, but because of who it will actually cause you to become. Would we be people who are wildly, wildly and passionately concerned about the authenticity of our faith? And for our faith to be authentic, we must assess our motives. We must check our motives as we are going to check our spiritual boxes. The second question I want to ask is this, are we casting judgment from a distance or are we trying to understand from up close? Every time I read this passage, I get so annoyed with the Pharisees, not because I can't imagine acting like that, but because I see way too much of myself in them asking the stupid question of like, why are you doing that? Like we're over here. Like I think, I think that our humanity causes us to crave attention. The Pharisees were used to being the center of attention. They were the center of the religious world and their Jewish culture, and now they weren't, and that made them uncomfortable. And they didn't even believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They didn't believe that he was the Savior, and yet they were still frustrated that this random rabbi who had this big following would give tax collectors and sinners the time of the day instead of coming to them, the religious elite, and praising them and interacting with them instead of these lowly tax collectors and sinners. See, instead of leaning in and truly asking Jesus why, they started to make judgment calls on him and they started to make judgment calls on the situation. What if, unlike the Pharisees, we truly leaned in? 
What if instead of getting bitter and asking God, why are you doing this or that in the lives of these people over here? We would ask like genuinely, why? Like, what are you up to God? Like, I know there's a reason for this and I'm genuinely curious for this. Our posture can take the same question and completely flip it. Why are you doing this? God done with a negative attitude is not going to produce any fruit, but why are you doing this? God, like, I, I genuinely want to know, like, why are you doing this? What are you up to? That is going to change everything. We can turn our human desire to judge and question into a holy desire to learn. We can turn a human desire to judge or question into a holy desire to learn. But here's the thing. We can learn willingly or we can learn begrudgingly. Because these men were not interested in learning. They were just complaining. But Jesus was going to teach them anyway. The last two verses that we are going to look at, Luke chapter 5, verses 31 through 32, it says, Jesus replied to them. So the disciples asked, or the Pharisees asked the disciples, like, why is why are you guys doing this? And Jesus is the one who replies to them. It is not those who are healthy who need a doctor, Jesus says, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is one of the, like, the hundreds of mic drop moments for Jesus. The truth is, and this is our last point of the week, everyone needs Jesus to be their doctor. Everyone needs Jesus to be their doctor. Yes, the corrupt tax collectors and sinners needed Jesus' truth and mercy and grace and forgiveness. He needed them to flip their lives around. They were corrupt sinners in need of a Savior. They needed Jesus. And yes, the disciples continued to need Jesus too. They were imperfect and had lots of uh-oh moments themselves. They needed Jesus to continually transform their lives just like you and I do. And yes, the religious elite that put together, who thought themselves high and righteous, needed Jesus to fix their perspective. They needed Jesus to fix their posture. They needed Jesus to fix their motives. Why are you doing the things that you're doing? You know, No matter where we find ourselves, we need Jesus. We are all sick. We are all broken. And thankfully, we have a Savior who wants nothing more than for us to be well. Thank you for listening to the FC Young Adult Podcast. If you are in the Billings area, we would love to see you at our in-person gatherings on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. If you're unable to attend in person, there are always ways to engage online. Follow along through Instagram at faithchapel.ya or find our ministry page at faithchapel.cc. You are loved.